Chapter 6 The Moment of Truth 367 BCE to 205 BCE When a defining moment comes along, you define the moment, or the moment defines you. Kevin Costner A modest mystery immediately greets the hard-pressed historian on encountering the death of Sri Lanka's first and possibly greatest king, Pandu Kabaya. His impossibly long reign, some 70 years, and that following an extended youth tormenting and eventually killing his uncle, defies all reasonable expectation of life expectancy at the time. Some scholars, fretting at the impossible arithmetic athleticism of the great king, helpfully suggest an extra king at this point. A shadowy name emerges from antique mists, Gantissa, said to be the son of Pandu Kabaya. Or was he a grandson? Or just a royal blind alley? It is a mystery that is never likely to be cleared up. But if Ganatissa was an invisible king, Mutavissa, said to have been Pandu Kabaya's son, emits at least a glimmer of glorious light. His existence is not in question. His reign was long, and he is said to have enlarged Arandanapura, creating Mahavanawa, an enormous park noted for its flowering trees and fruits. And mindful of his dynastic obligations, Mutavisa also produced nine sons, five of whom would rule after him. Certainly something went very right during the reigns of Pandu Kabaya, Ganatissa if he existed, and Mutavisa, for during this period, civil war that had rocked the reigns of Pandu Vasudeva's sons draws not even the merest whisper in the chronicles. This period of calm government would have enabled the state to have become increasingly centralised and in so doing embedded Vijayan rule and the ascendancy of the Arandadapuran kingdom across the island. Mutavisa's peaceful death in 307 BEC made clear that the Vijayans were there to stay. It turned out that this was the best of all possible times to take stock of the kingdom and lift its game. And it is fortunate that when Sri Lanka's paramount defining moment occurred, it had a king talented enough to make best sense of it, though in the decades after his death, all was nearly lost by feeble heirs and violent invaders. Divanampia Tissa, Old King Mustavisa's second son is described by the Mahabhasa as being foremost among all his brothers in virtue and intelligence. To get anywhere close to this remarkable king, 307 to 267 BCE, you should take yourself off to a mountain in Minatali, 16 kilometres east of Arandanapura. There stands a modest, much-weathered, armless stone statue of Devanam Pietissa, just over six feet high, gazing out across the grand ruins and remains of the religious citadel. It marks the very spot where Sri Lanka became Buddhist. Gaze into the stony eyes of the king, for unlike so much other statuary, this one, argue the scholars, actually dates from very close to the death of this Buddhist welcoming monarch. Like the Vijayans, Buddhism also came from India, and it has naturalised so completely across the island that it is impossible to grasp any aspect of the country's past or present 
without first comprehending the centrality of this, its main religion. It arrived through a series of intimate stories in which faith follows friendship, for King Divan Pietissa had struck up a pen-pal relationship with the celebrated Indian Buddhist Emperor Ashoka. Gifts followed letters, and a missionary followed the gifts when Ashoka dispatched his own son, Mahinda, to Sri Lanka. The young missionary prince was to live on the island for 48 years, outliving Divan Pietissa and dying aged 80 after a lifetime spent promoting Buddhism, the beneficiary of a state funeral at which his relics were interned in a stupa in Minatale. For it was at Minatale that Mahinda first met Divan Pietissa. The king, it was said, was out hunting. Expecting a stag, the ruler instead found himself a missionary. A testing exchange on the nature of things followed, and then a sutra was preached. The rest, as they say, is history. The conversions began, and the country's history took the most definitive turn in its long journey, becoming and remaining to this day a Buddhist country first and foremost with all that this entailed. So great were the number of conversions that the king especially built the Mahavira, the great monastery, in the pleasure gardens of Arandanapura to house the growing number of Buddhist monks, and for centuries afterwards the building was to become the centre of Theravada Buddhism in Sri Lanka. The evidence for all of this, of course, comes from the Mahamvasa chronicle, but it is very likely that Buddhism penetrated the islands much earlier. Even so, it took the backing of a king to ensure that the religion became so dominant so fast. And as it did so, it accrued some of the many rituals and ceremonies of the pre-Buddhist cults, especially those associated with agriculture and demons. It also helped spread a common language and script, and with it the power of the centre, for the king was also the formal guardian of the Sangha, the religious organisation. Clearly, Mahinda, the young missionary, had painted a compelling picture of his new island home in his letters home, for he was soon joined by his sister, the nun, Sangamita. She brought with her a golden vase in which grew a sapling of the Bodhi tree, taken from the very one under which Lord Buddha himself is said to have attained enlightenment. Accompanied by a number of other nuns, Sangamita landed in the north of the island and was met by King Divan Pietissa himself. The party was ceremonially escorted to Arantanapura along a road softened with white sand. The Bodhi sapling was planted in the Mahamegahavana grove in Arantanapura, where it still grows. Sangahamita later ordained Queen Anula and the women of the court in Buddhism and stayed on the island promoting the religion. She died in 203 BCE, aged 79, her death prompting national mourning. A stupa was erected over her cremation site in front of the Bodhi tree in Arandanapura. The king himself built a monastery and temple caves in Minatale, a site that over successive years grew and grew. Indeed, temple caves rapidly became the architectural hit of the time, with ordinary people funding a stonemason to do all the necessary work. Between the 3rd century BC and the 1st century CE, nearly 3,000 such caves were recorded in Sri Lanka. Other notable buildings followed, 
monasteries, palaces, the 550-acre Tiswiwa water tank, still in use today, and the Thupara Maya of Arandanapura, the country's first stupa, which enshrined the right collarbone of Lord Buddha, and whose remains today stretch out over three and a half acres. The king's death, after so long a reign, brought to an end almost 200 years of Ajayan peace and prosperity. Thank you.